Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Hello also to those who are watching online. Please allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Wade, and I'm one of the ministers here. And it is good to be with you. It's actually good to be back with you. I appreciate so much the opportunity to have an extended break during the summer. It is good for me to be away for a number of weeks, and I hope you see that it's good for you, for me, to be away for a number of weeks. You get to hear from some different voices, and I think that's really important. I appreciate so much my friends, Eddie and Grady and Caleb, sharing in my absence. Wes also preached, but we're not really friends. It's good for you, for it to be good for me to be away, because I do return from these kind of breaks, rested, renewed, restored, and ready to rock the mic. So are you ready to do this? Let's preach again, shall we? See if I can remember how this goes. If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. And today I am beginning a rather short series of messages. We'll close out the summer with this series of messages in which I will be interacting some with our mission, vision, and value statements that we have as a church. Now, I am not going to unpack these statements in any kind of detailed way. You can read all about our mission, vision, values on our website. And if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do so. In fact, I'll put a snapshot up behind me on the screen. Now, you can read all about it on the website. But rather, what I want to do in this series is explore several stories from the Gospels that will hopefully bring the bullet points of our mission, vision, and values to life. And the first story is in John chapter 2. So let's begin reading John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, 
though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had a little too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Tony Campolo tells a story that he read in a newspaper years ago about a restaurant owner in Georgia applying for a liquor license in a dry county. And his request was quickly denied, even though the restaurateur made the argument, even Jesus drank wine. And one of the county commissioners, who was also a deacon in the local Baptist church, responded to this argument by saying, I know he drank wine, and he's always been an embarrassment to me because of it. Now, as I'm getting to know you all better, I assume that many of you, like me, are not the least bit embarrassed by Jesus drinking some wine. In fact, you not only like that he drank wine, you like that he made some of his own. And you love the fact that Jesus' wine was not only plentiful, but it was really, really good. But still, we have to admit, this seems like a weird way for Jesus to launch his public ministry. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus launches his ministry by attracting a crowd with his teachings and his miracles, and then he delivers to that drawn crowd early in the Gospel what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus launches his public ministry by driving out an evil spirit from someone in a synagogue. In the Gospel of Luke, he launches his public ministry by preaching a controversial sermon to his hometown synagogue. And that sermon went over so well that the good folks who watched him grow up tried to throw him off of a nearby cliff. But here in the Gospel of John, Jesus launches his public ministry with a quiet, reluctant miracle. One he does only, it seems, because of his mother. Back then, Jewish weddings could last as long as seven days. They were festive occasions, giving those who were weighed down under the burden of living in the Roman Empire, an opportunity to relax and celebrate. And at some point during this multi-day party, Mary was made privy to some embarrassing information. There is no more wine. This was a major social faux pas. It would bring shame upon the bridegroom and his family. And who knows why the host didn't make adequate provisions. Maybe the guests were particularly thirsty that week. Or maybe Jesus' disciples, who 
would likely have been last-minute invites to the party drank more than their fair share. We don't know why. John's not nearly as interested in those kind of details as we are. But what John does want us to know is that Jesus' mother Mary sees a problem. And she believes her son Jesus can do something about it. His response to his mother is perhaps a bit more terse than we would like it to be. Woman, don't bother me with this. Now, woman in this context is not a term of disrespect, but it does convey some distance. Mary, Jesus' mother who bore and raised him, must now become her son's disciple. And he goes on to explain his reluctance. He says, my hour has not yet come. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus' hour refers to those culminating events near the end of his mission on earth, including his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And Jesus knows that once he goes public, there's no turning back. So Jesus' mother is unwittingly asking him to take his first step toward the cross. And by the way, she shows up only one more time in the Gospel of John. And that is when he is dying on the cross. She's there at the beginning and she's there at the end. And for her part, she does not argue with her son. She also doesn't take no for an answer. Instead, she tells the servants, just be ready and do whatever he tells you to do which in and of itself is a nice little three-point lesson in discipleship. Present the problem to Jesus, be ready to do whatever he tells you to do, and then wait for his loving, wise, and often surprising response. Present the problem, be ready to step in and do whatever he tells you to do, and then wait and see what Jesus does. And don't be surprised if you are amazed. And what Jesus does next is tell the servants to fill six large jars with water. And then to take that water to the master of ceremonies. And at some point in the process, that water becomes wine. Just why some... Describe this as a hidden miracle. Because there is no thunder and lightning, no indication Jesus prays or snaps his fingers or claps his hands. It's one moment those jars are filled to the brim with water, and then the next moment they contain up to 180 gallons of wine the equivalent of almost 1,000 modern bottles of wine. And the wine Jesus makes is not only abundant, it's excellent. Throws the master of ceremonies for a loop. He, He says to the bridegroom, look, this is not the way you do it. You serve the best wine at the beginning of the party to impress your guests when their senses are still sharp enough to appreciate the quality Why have you saved the best for last? And that's the extent of Jesus' first miracle. 
Only his mother, the servants, and his disciples seem to know what he's done. But it is enough for his disciples to begin to believe in him, to see his glory, as Jesus told them they would do when they began following him in John chapter 1. And actually, John never calls it a miracle. He calls it a sign. And signs point to something else. And the point of this amazing thing Jesus does at this wedding party is not the amazing thing in and of itself. The amazing thing, the sign, is pointing to something else. And the point of this sign is not that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't ever have to worry about running out of wine. The point of this sign is that Jesus is the one God's people have been waiting for. He's better than anything or anyone who's ever appeared previously in God's story. He's better than the patriarchs, better than Moses, better than the law, better than David, better than the prophets, better than John the Baptist. In Christ, God saved the best for last. And in Christ, God is initiating a long-awaited plan of renewal, redemption, restoration, and healing. It's a time that some prophets described in terms of, you guessed it, an abundance of choice wine. Prophet Amos says in Amos chapter 9, verse 13, the days are coming declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people, Israel, back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 25, verse 6, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. And what does all of this symbolize? Well, on this mountain, God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. This story is also an illustration of what John says about Jesus in his prologue to John's gospel in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 16. It says, and the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What does God's grace taste like? the finest of wine flowing abundantly, never ending, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. There's also a hint of resurrection 
in this story. John tells us that this happens on the third day. It happens on the third day. The third day. Something else happens on the third day in the gospel story. In fact, later on in chapter 2, Jesus is turning over tables in the temple and condemning it for being more of a marketplace than a meeting place with God. And he says to the religious leaders, explaining his actions, verse 19, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now, assuming this third day, three days bracket is intentional and with John, there almost always seems to be something deeper swimming just below the surface. Third day, three days. And this story is pointing to Jesus' resurrection. When God saves the best for last in Jesus' ministry. And it's also then pointing to our resurrection when Christ saves the best for last and raises us from the dead to new life. So maybe this is not such a weird way for Jesus to launch his public ministry. Because what Jesus does for this dead party, he is someday going to do for all of creation. But this sign isn't just pointing into the future. It's also pointing into the present. And Jesus can do for us, for the whole world, what he does for this dead party. Which is also why I think this is a great story for capturing and illustrating our mission and vision as a church. Because life doesn't always feel like much of a party, does it? Not because we have no wine, but because we've run out of something even more essential. So what do you do when your party runs out of life? You invite the source of life to your party. What do you do when the superficial versions of success you've pursued your entire life turn out to be devoid of meaning, purpose, and significance? You invite the one who knows the secret to living a meaningful life to show you how to live. And what do you do when your marriage runs out of love? You invite the one whose sacrificial actions define love into your marriage. And what do you do when your relationships run out of grace? You invite the one through whom God's grace overflows abundantly into your heart. What do you do when your society runs out of wisdom? You invite the one who is the personification of God's wisdom, right living into everything you do, into every area of your life. when your life runs out of wine and your life runs out of purpose and meaning and significance when your relationships run out of love and grace you present the problem to Jesus the one who has the power to do something about it 
and then you stand ready to do whatever he tells you to do. Believing, trusting that God's best for you and those you love and for the world is yet to come. This is a big part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To recognize there's a problem, to turn it over to Jesus and then be ready to respond, be ready to obey, be ready to follow. This is what it means to receive and enjoy the abundant life Jesus offers. He says later on in the Gospel of John, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Not just life someday, but life beginning right now. And this is what we strive to do as a church. This is our mission. This is our vision for why we exist, why God has called a body of believers together in this place to inspire and invite others to receive and enjoy the abundant life that comes from following Jesus. This is the invitation we keep offering one another and we keep offering to our neighbors. It's not our invitation, it's the invitation Jesus offers to us and through us. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Follow me. So may we all Continue to drink deeply of the wine of God's grace, mercy, love, and truth. And may it fill our hearts and overflow from our lives into the world around us until all of creation drips with the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today acknowledging those parts of our lives that have run out of wine. Pointing to those places where joy is hard to find, where life is fleeting, where there is emptiness, where we long for something to be full. We present our hearts to you. We present our lives to you, our relationships to you, our behaviors to you. And we ask you to breathe new life into us. Fill our hearts, our lives with the wine of your life, your joy, your grace, overflowing and abundant now and forevermore. And it's in the name of Jesus, your one and only Son, whom you glorified, that we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.